it is uh, once again a great opportunity for us to invite one of our professors from nearby Christum College. And uh, I have a particular devotion to the professors from Christum College, as you know. Um, it's good to have Dr. Cutterback back for a third time, I think, third or fourth time. Third time. Fourth time? Oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, to speak with us on a topic that for me was very life-changing at Christendom is to start to determine in my own life what things were getting in the way of my own conversion, how do I get those out of my life, and how do I sort of fill in with uh, the right things. Um, and so my time, four years at Christendom College, uh, learning from Dr. Cutterback how to do that in my life, and that's why I brought him here tonight. So uh, good to have you back. Thank you.
Proba, he says the following, where he makes an interesting connection between prayer, the theme of last week, and desire, something I'd like to bring in a little bit this week. Thus, the apostles saying, pray without ceasing, means nothing else but, without ceasing, desire from him who alone can give it, the blessed life, which is none other than eternal life. Let me say that again, this syntax is a little bit strange in that sentence. Thus the apostles saying, in other words, St. Paul's saying, pray without ceasing, means nothing else but without ceasing desire from him who alone can give it, the blessed life, which is none other than eternal life. What I'd like to then consider with you here this evening is how we might increase our desire for God. Here St. Augustine has connected praying constantly with desiring constantly. So I'd like to think in terms of how can we cultivate in a very practical way our desires. How can we cultivate a deeper desire for God as the main way that we turn to Him in conversion. Conversion is always turning to the Lord. We turn to Him through our desires. To do that, what I'd like to do is, is look at what philosophers call powers of the soul. And I'm going to look at four, and particularly, actually five, but particularly three of them. Intellect, will, imagination, memory, and exterior senses. And I'll say briefly what I mean by each of those. Intellect, the power of knowing the truth. Will, the power of desiring, of loving, of choosing, of resting in what is good. Imagination, this is a sense power. In other words, a power that we share in common with the animals in which we retain images of what we have sensed. Memory, rather complex power that is both on the intellectual level and also on the sense level, again, that we share in common with the animals, of recalling what we've known or what we've experienced. And then finally, simply, the exterior senses, the five exterior senses, through which we have our basic contact with the world around us. The first thing that we need to understand, remind ourselves of, is that each of these powers was given to us by God to be in the service of our spiritual life. All of these powers, right down to, beginning with, the exterior senses. God gave us these powers to serve our spiritual life. Indeed, we might say each of these powers is ultimately about enabling our conversion, about empowering us to be converted to the Lord. So what I'd like to do is, is, is kind of take a, a holistic approach here and realize, for starters, that each of these powers requires our careful attention and some plan 
so that these powers might serve the goal they were meant for. So that's the main thing I'd like to suggest is how can we try to come up with a plan, particularly as regards things that we normally don't think about. And that's why I'm going to actually spend most of our time this evening on talking about sense powers and how if we have a real plan for how we cultivate them, this can in fact be absolutely central in our conversion. So again, you see I'm not so much talking about the deep conversion of heart itself, but these other things, which in God's design are critical if we're going to be able to do that deep interior conversion. So, spiritual master, by the way, I'm hoping good company on this, the spiritual masters always suggest having a plan. If you go to, for instance, something like the Imitation of Christ, there's very long treatment of how to act as regards your exterior senses, how to purify the imagination, how to purify the memory. If you go to the rule of St. Benedict, much time is spent on how are the monks to have a plan, to have a way of life, so that all these lower powers can serve and enable the highest things. So what I'm going to do is begin at the very bottom. Something that we normally don't talk about when we're talking about conversion. I'm going to begin with our five exterior senses. Through our senses, obviously we do many mundane things. We attend to practical needs of the body. But much more than that, we also experience the beauty of the world around us. And here I suggest for consideration is actually where, in a sense, our spiritual life begins. Our spiritual life, our interior life, our conversion begins with our five exterior senses. And I don't mean just it began with it once upon a time when we were a child. That's even more true. We particularly see in children the kind of primacy of the exterior senses. Very important point for how we raise children, but not our, not our topic. But even with you and me, our spiritual life even now begins with our senses. For instance, think about how we begin our day. First thing we do in the morning is we, we open our eyes so that we can see. And then perhaps we, we look at a crucifix so that we can see what our life is about. And then we perhaps look at our spouse and we, we smile so that our spouse can see that we love each other. So right at the beginning of our day, the senses set us off on a trajectory. And it's very important how we have set up, as it were, the beginning of the day on that very simple level of what do we first look to. I'd like to suggest that our goal should be, as regards our five exterior senses, to the extent that it is in our control, we should seek to have our sense experience constantly raising our thoughts 
and our desires to the most important things, to God, to salvation, to the church, to our loved ones. The senses indeed can do this. Today, this is a unique challenge. We tend to be surrounded by ugliness that assaults our senses. Ugliness of art, ugliness of moral perversion, ugliness of inappropriate fashions, ugliness of architecture. We need them to think in terms of custody of our eyes, and I'm going to speak particularly of our eyes as our main sense, but it, it, it stands in for speaking of the other senses too. We need to think in terms of custody of our eyes and of exposing ourselves to things of true beauty. So what I like to do is offer a couple of do's and don'ts, which I'll do about each of the just the powers that we look at here. A couple of do's. Think in terms of surrounding ourselves with beauty. I know it, it almost sounds corny, but I, but I actually think, think with me, how in fact it makes a very big difference for us. Surround ourselves with beauty, natural beauty, artistic beauty, in a special way, beautiful liturgy. church certainly has shown us in her wisdom about the liturgy how much she sees how much our senses move us one way or the other again to use this great phrase adieu custody of the eyes I just it's perhaps considered so old-fashioned but can we, as Christians, get by in the world that we're in if we don't have an explicit discipline, an explicit plan of custody of eyes? Well, what, what does it mean? We just think about that for a moment. Without being scrupulous, can, can we, as it were, ask ourselves consistently, and then it will become habitual, is looking at this good for me is looking at this good for my life is looking at this good for my spiritual life at first it will take a very large effort for us it of course shows up all day long some parts of the day more than other parts of the day but we can think in terms of it as a preserving of the eyes for what God intended them to see. If you don't, cluttering and dulling of the senses. I think in our day and age, the main two instances of that are television and the internet. I don't suggest by that that they have no place, but I think that they certainly can have a place, although I think we sometimes allow ourselves to think they can and should have a bigger place than they need have. Particularly thinking in terms of these things at, at inopportune times, 
thinking particularly of, for instance, first in the morning and last at night. Spiritual masters always say, it makes such a big difference for our spiritual life, what happens at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Is the television, for instance, on any time in the first chunk of the day? Or is it on anywhere in the last times of the day? And the masters say, whatever we've experienced in the last, take your pick, half hour, hour, before we go to bed, are the images that will be with us as we sleep and very likely when we wake up. The images that we start with first thing in the morning set our day on a certain path. So if we have a habit of, you know, flipping on whatever it is, good morning America, rather early on, or just whatever it is late at night, almost up at time to go to bed. Question here, you know, it's, it's not a question of sin or not. And really, not, none of the things that I want to talk about and consider with you this evening is a matter of sin. It's a matter of this project of how can we best empower ourselves through cultivating these powers to be constantly in the presence, turning towards our Lord and desires. Turning now to imagination closely connected to the exterior senses, but distinct. By God's design, we have an amazing power to retain things that we've sensed. So philosophically, when we're, when, when we're, when we're doing this, um, it, when we introduce this, this power of imagination, it's, it's, it's rather simple. I, I, I say to the students, okay, you know, now close your eyes, and now you know, picture a mountain, picture a church, Picture someone you love, that is your imagination. Obviously, that's distinct from the exterior senses. When you close your eyes and you still see things, that's simply the power that we call imagination. Of course, what's in the imagination are things, fundamentally, that we have sensed, or slight rearrangements of those things. But isn't, isn't it fascinating that in God's wonderful design of the human being, we're getting, we always have to bear in mind, every power that we have is designed by God to work together to enable our conversion. And so here we have this amazing power of imagination, not to be underestimated in its influence on our life, that images that we've seen with our senses are retained. There's people in this room right now, I'm sure, that could, that could explain to us very vividly things they have not seen with their eyes for, for 60 years. Isn't that amazing? You, you see it as though you're seeing it. There it is in your imagination. Why is it that way? God gave us this power because he wanted us to have images with us that we had seen before that need to be there to continue to form our life. Think about how what's in our imagination fundamentally forms our worldview. It's hard to give an example of this. It's easiest with children. But think, this is an example I'd like to think in terms of. How we imagine family life, this after consideration, is one of the main determinants of what we think. I'm distinguishing that between imagining and thinking. How we imagine family life 
is one of the main determinants of what we think family life is. What do we picture? Particularly think of children. Think of a child who has been raised in an unhappy family. One of the main ways that that child's understanding of family life is permanently scarred is precisely through the images of what family life looks like and them being bad ones. I present for your consideration, this is one of the main reasons that so few people in our day and age really want marriage for what marriage truly is and family life for what family life truly is. For in our culture, we barely have images of what these things really are supposed to be like. So again, that aspect of how we imagine things very much informs how we're thinking about them. So we might say then, we need to strive to have what God intended us to have, namely, a Christian imagination. And this is in no way an exaggeration. The spiritual masters speak of purifying our imagination, which means trying to discipline it, trying our best to remove, although it's not possible to do that by a snap of the finger, trying to remove things in our imagination that would be better were they not there, but most of all, trying to put into our imagination images of good things. We can actually discipline our imagination. We can try to avoid, of course, impure bad images. Also, we try to avoid simply what the masters call vain imaginations, which might not be bad, but there's much time that can be spent in vain imaginations. Quick, quick uh, mental uh, examination here. How much of our time do we spend in vain imaginations? For a picture, we're commuting, we're, we're in the waiting room, or even we're sitting at our desk in the office, whatever, we're doing dishes, and we're just, what, where is the mental focus of our soul? The mental focus of our soul is in vain imagination. We're picturing ourselves doing whatever. Might even be something bad, but if it's not something bad, is it just something that's, that's unimportant? Or is it telling somebody off that we're really mad at? How much time are we then out there in our imagination, where in that very same time we could have been turning to the Lord, as it were, in conversion? So a few do's and don'ts. Disciplining how we use our imagination. And, and, and one of those instances is literally how we spend our time. It's very difficult. But trying to catch ourselves in our imaginings and trying to turn our imagination away from bad or even just vain or unimportant things and turn our imagination towards good things. Form our imagination from beautiful liturgy. Form our imagination from the gospel, spiritual reading, great literature, truly beautiful music, and even silence. <clears throat> One of the main ways we actually train our imagination, and this is also really coextensive with training the 
focus of our soul. For here's, here's an absolute. Wherever your imagination is, that's what you're thinking about. Whatever you're imagining is always what you are thinking about. So training imagination is precisely training where is the focus of our soul. An excellent exercise is time of silence, where we pass the silence in making sure we aren't doing vain imaginings. Quick example, go sit down in the woods, complete silence, be taking in the beauty of God's nature, but don't make, make sure that we don't descend into vain imaginings. So, well, or, or even just problems, how, how are we going to solve that problem, how are we going to tell that person what we need to tell them. Banish all that and kind of just have a sort of attentiveness to reality. Now living in the past, not living in the future, living now. Keeping our imagination as here, even right on the beauty of the natural world. Actually seeing it. Which amazingly, we almost never do. Word on gospel images. It's here in the gospel that we particularly form Christian imagination. St. Thomas Aquinas says, teachers teach their students by giving them images. Period. Teachers teach their students by giving them images. Our Lord was the Master. And if you read through the Gospel, He was primarily feeding our imagination with the images we need to understand his worldview. And so if we make the simple effort to fill our imagination with that set of images that he wanted to convey to us, especially through all the stories, we will have the opportunity to take on his worldview. We can literally fill our imagination with the images that yield how he sees things, how he understands things. I like to think as an example on this of St. Dominic. It is said that St. Dominic had memorized the entire Gospel of St. Matthew and the Epistles of St. Paul. And I asked myself, what kind of imagination must he have had as he walked the roads of France preaching when he saw a sycamore tree must he not right away have thought Zacchaeus come down I must stay in your house tonight when he looked at the mountains he must have thought mountains presence of God among us he saw the sower in the field, and he said to himself, God is sowing his word in our souls. Everything, our, our Lord is the master teacher, tried to take all of the beautiful, natural images that we would come upon in our daily life, so that we have formed our imagination by his stories, 
will constantly be thinking of this teaching. A couple of don'ts. It's very similar, actually, to the, to the, to the exterior senses. Cluttering and dulling our imagination. And, and at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make an assertion here, and I, I'm, um, I'm not going to quote the studies, I'm not going to quote the, the, the science, um, thus, you know, one, one, one can take or leave it. I, from my experience, I've done a, a bit of research on it. Um, once again, television. Much use of the internet is a significant flutterer and duller of the imagination. Something at least for us to be aware of. I'm not saying this means we have to flee from these things. But we need to realize what challenges we're up against as we try to focus on these powers and trying to put them in the service of conversion. A a another one, um, constant news. WTOP wants us to turn, tune in all day long and remind us of that almost every several minutes as we're listening to it. Because our, our culture is trying to convince us that if we're not knowing what's going on out there, somehow we're going to miss out on life. And I think here's, here's a moment where we're called upon to be seriously countercultural and realize if we tune into the news the way that our culture expects us to, the attention of our soul will be constantly on the price of oil, terrorist bombings, partisan politics, damaging storms, and you name it. And this, it, it, it arouses the concern in us. The attention of our soul is put into this. And, and we start talking about it with the people we, we come. Did you hear about that tornado in Alabama? <laughs> and we have all the details on it. Now, is there something wrong with this in itself? But the question is, what's our goal? Wherein do we live our life? Very quickly, those things are where our attention is much. And, and I fear one of the great divides between us and, well, people like Father Joseph Mary Brown, last week, is we're constantly absorbed in those things. Obviously, for a certain extent, we have to be worried about them. You know, I'm not saying that we don't care about them. But we're absorbing them more than we need to be. And we're not having the recollection and the presence of soul to be tuned into his presence. We need to get tuned in to another channel, in the channel of the news. Memory. Memory. Complex power, again, both, both intellectual and on the sense level. Spiritual masters, again, like to use the phrase purifying the memory. There's a lot going on here. What do they mean by purifying the memory? One of the things that they mean is trying to, trying to weed out, trying to leave out, leave behind memories that are not important. 
Again, memory is very similar to imagination. And God gave us a strong memory for a reason. There's certain things God wants us to remember. And really, what, what, is, what is remembering about? It's about bringing something from the past into the present. Now, memory can be misused. We can, through memory, live in the past. That's always wrong. Because the point of memory is always to serve the present. It can be misused to spend a lot of time thinking how I was hurt back then, how I did a great job back then, past successes, past failures. How much time do we vainly spend reliving things that have happened in the past? All of this is a misuse of memory. Memory is really needed for one thing, to bring into the present the most important things that have happened that should be forming our present. That's all we need memory for, to bring into the present those really few important things that should be forming our present. Memory is one of the most important notions in the Hebrew Old Testament. The Jews were constantly well, reminding one another that they need to remember God. And they used a few different phrases. Remember particularly his works and his promises. Those are the two main things they thought in terms of they had to remember from the past. They had to remember what God had done for them and they had to remember what God had promised them. Think about those two things from the past should be formative of our present. That's what we need our memory for. And we will be making a serious mistake if we don't remember those things. What God has done for us and what God has promised to us. For that, we need memory. It's a great line in Sirach. It's also called Ecclesiasticus, depending on which Bible you're using. Sirach chapter 7, verse 40. In all thy works, remember thy last end, and thou shalt never sin. There's the sense of remember thy last end, really meaning what you're called to. Last end, not so much meaning death meaning the goal, the last goal, heaven, what has been promised to you. Remember what has been promised to you all the time, and you'll never sin. A couple of quick do's and don'ts. Practicing the presence of God. This fits both here and fits back under imagination. Looking for ways, and this isn't easy, I don't have any magic tricks for you here to help you to do this, Looking for ways to remember what we should and not what we should not. In case at least we make ourselves cognizant of this, it's like the vain imaginings thing. When we catch ourselves living in the past, reliving old glories, reliving old failures, it's 99 out of 100 times simply a waste of time. And we have not disciplined our power of memory to be in the service of our conversion if we're doing that. John Paul II, when he talked about uh, the rosary, if you haven't seen his, read his beautiful abstract letter on the rosary, 
it's, it's really quite beautiful. And one of the main things he says he loves about the rosary is that it is a form of aiding our memory. That in the rosary, we remember those events that give meaning to our life. It's completely the Hebrew notion of memory. It's bringing into the presence those things from the past that give meaning to our life. So he says when we're meditating on the mysteries, we're bringing into now what happened then and having it transform our present. Couple of dolls. What he kind of mentioned. Living in the past, lingering on our faults, lingering on how we've been injured, lingering on our successes. In conclusion, on memory, through a purified, through a disciplined memory, we ourselves will be enabled to live in the present. Okay. Memory properly used empowers us to live in the present. Memory that's not purified takes us out of the present. And as one great wise man said, the only place you'll ever encounter the Lord is in the present. Purified memory, we live in the present having with us everything from the past that makes our present a meaning. To move to our conclusion, my main emphasis here this evening has been on these lower powers, the exterior senses, the imagination, and the memory. All powers that we normally wouldn't have so much associated with conversion. But again, what I'd like to suggest for your consideration is, is that through a cultivation, a purification, a disciplining of those lower powers, we are precisely enabled to do the things that we know so well are at the heart of conversion. Our intellectual study time, our prayer time, our frequenting of the sacraments, our participation in the liturgy. I present for consideration all of those things are enabled precisely by cultivating those powers the way that we've been looking at. And they are significantly hindered, if not made functionally impossible, if we don't do the cultivation of those other things. Just, just, a, just a simple, somewhat bracing example. Can you imagine a Christian who does not have, at least to a certain extent, a real custody of his eyes and his imagination? How can any of those highest things that we've just said really happen? go back to where we started. Our goal is constant conversion through constant prayer. 
through an habitual turning to God in our desires in the present. We can turn to these lower powers so as to empower them to aid us to truly live in the present where our desires, our thoughts will be consistently raised to the things that are most important. Discipline and recollection of the lower powers means presence with the Lord. Thank you very much for your attention. I would be absolutely happy to if, if anybody has any, 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 uh, any disagreements. Uh, I'm, remember, I'm, I'm a teacher, so um, today, today, today's a new kind of students. They, they take 50% of what you say they're okay with, and the other 50% is just what they want to talk about. They're not okay with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready for anything, yes. Could you give some examples of what steps a person would go through in the, in the opportunity for custody of the eyes? Um, well, okay. Um, uh, um, just to throw out to you what just came to my mind now, I, um, this past weekend, was driving my wife and family home uh, from Michigan, so we're on the highways. And um, on all major highways, billboards are a major um, <laughs> problem, uh, event, situation. Um, and, and, and so, obviously, this has to be custom-tailored. It can be done in different ways, but I mean, one thing I would suggest is just thinking in terms of, well, you know, do I think that anything I'm going to see on any of these billboards is something that I will miss if I haven't seen it? And then we might just say, you know, I, as a, and, and maybe, I, I, I don't want to encourage scrupulosity, but maybe rather than scrupulosity, we can combine it with penance and just say, okay, I'm going to make a little sacrifice. I'm not going to look at any billboard my entire way home. I mean, there is, there's the kind of double duty of we're exercising a custody. We're, we're just, just like the, the church and her wisdom wants us in Lent to give certain things up. There's always the, the double purpose. There's the, well, this is kind of a sacrifice that we can offer for sin. But it's also, uh, we just need to discipline our appetites in general. So I would say the eyes are, are a great instance of that. We, we just, we just make, choose certain things, but we'll just do a penance and, 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 and look away. I mean, I mean, again, I mean, just, I'm, I'm, I'm overlooking, no pun intended, but the obvious instances of, uh, of I mean, immodesty of, of dress, where we literally have to have a habit of, so we, look, we have to live in society, so we can't go through society <laughs> being, being a misfit. But, it, I mean, but given how things are, they, you have to be... Great priests will time refer to this. How it's just God's will that they be at a great big uh, ball of some sort, right? Where maybe fifty percent of the people are immodestly dressed, and how it is an absolute art for them. How they just go through the evening and so actually look people in the eye, but have maintained throughout custody of the eyes. It's, it, it is truly an art. 
But those who have that are, uh, I mean, it's amazing how their, their gaze is a very pure and engaging one. Um, Anyone else have any quick, I mean, any suggestions on that? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some other good suggestions on customize. Any, any obvious things I'm, I'm, I'm missing? Is that is that helpful? Is that is that going in the direction that you were um, thinking? Yes, sir. Your earlier mention of uh, what we see when we go to bed and what we arise in the morning, it brings to mind a little problem we have in our house, and I haven't really discussed this with my wife actually. <laughs> It depends on who's last watching television. If I am, it's probably a sports event or some such thing. But if it's my wife, it's more likely EWTN. And this is kind of a problem because when I wake up in the morning, she's up first and she's taking care of the dogs. And I wake up and I turn the television on. And if she's been listening to EWTN, there's Mother Angelica, either some rosary or liturgy being performed. And I want to listen to once while well, I turn to Fox <laughs> listen to news. So my conscience is troubling me at early in the morning. Occasionally I'll listen to the, the rosary and I'll take part in the liturgy, but uh, more likely I'll probably turn to uh, <laughs> Fox News. <laughs> so well, it is uh, what you see when you go to bed and what you wake up is, is significant. <laughs> right, right. Well, it sounds like in, in your family or a similar situation that I have between comparison with my wife and myself. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, I don't know which one to touch, but I think everything is through grace. Um, first of all, you talked about habits, to change your habits. And remember that watching TV for a long time, and then we, I turned it on to the ET entertainment tonight.
be got enmeshed in our imagination, enmeshed in our memory, and in fact help precisely by coming out in those appropriate times. So imagine the difference between starting our morning with looking at the Psalms or looking at and doing the liturgy of the hours in the morning as opposed to watching I mean, be this stark and not that one couldn't do both, but just for the sake of contrast, you know, watching some morning program versus praying the liturgy of the hours where the Psalms are, in the wisdom of church, we see this, so designed to put phrases into our mind that will come out throughout the day and be affecting our worldview. It sounds like that was a nice instance of that. But the whole point in the end was is that I felt as though I was a person dying. And you know when, you, when you've got just so much time left, you, you appreciate every moment. And for that instant, for that 24 hours, when I kept hearing that, you know, bless the Lord, everything that I looked at, I started to look deeper and deeper and really, really appreciate the trees rustling in the wind and stuff like that. That sounds like that was, that was quite a grace. Yeah. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? Well, thank you again very much, everyone, for coming. Have a good evening.